Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for March 10th, 2019. During this season of Lent, Russ Dean will speak on Misunderstanding, Identifying the Problem, and Amy Jackstein will speak on Understanding, Seeking an Answer. Today, they speak on the topics of spirituality and religion. I write a monthly piece for my hometown newspaper, Clinton, South Carolina. There are about 10,000 people who live in Clinton. It's been a really interesting opportunity I've had for the last 18 months. Um, I call the piece, similar to the title of the book that I've been sharing with you, Finding My Way Home, because it's been almost 40 It's been 40 years since I've lived in Clinton, South Carolina. My family still lives there. Amy's family still lives there. Um, So we're connected, but it's been 40 years since we've been there. And I've been a lot of miles since I lived there. And I don't think exactly like I did when I lived there. And so it's been a really interesting opportunity to have an op-ed once a month. And I try to connect with something that I learned, some people that were important in my life there and share something. Um, It's interesting to write and to hear what people hear, you know? Um, recently, Amy and I were, were back for a ball game, and we went in to have a hamburger, and uh, the Davenports came in. I hadn't seen them since I graduated with their son, Todd, in 1982. Um, and so I spoke to them and introduced myself to them, and twice in the conversation, Mr. Davenport said, um, I see your articles in the, Observe, in the uh, Clinton Chronicle. Not thank you for your articles in the Clinton Chronicle. Not I really like your articles in the Clinton Chronicle. I I see your articles in the Chronicle. And at one point he finally said, "Uh, it it gives us a different way to look at some things. Well, thank you, Mr. Davenport. Not long ago, I wrote about all the bad news in the world. Uh, That was the point of my piece was kind of nuanced, but it really was a caution. Uh, Yes, we need to see all the good that's happening around us, but that big picture can really keep us from seeing and naming and working to change all the bad that is happening with us. You know, don't let the rose-colored glasses uh, uh, make you apathetic to what's happening. I wrote the week after that man walked into the synagogue in Pittsburgh and gunned down 11 people. It was the week after the boy was killed in our own Butler High School. There were three or four things that had happened that week, and I said, we need to see, we need to name, we need to be concerned about what the bad is. But I'd started by saying, oh, you know, there's a lot of good around us. But it was really... Ultimately, it was really kind of a bad news piece about the state of our nation. And my mother called me the next week after it was printed, and she said, thank you so much for that piece. It was so uplifting, and thank you for reminding us about all the good in the world. My mom kind of missed the point, you know. Preaching is no easier than that. I can't tell you how many times Amy or I have stood at the door and somebody has come out and said, oh, I love that sermon. And then they proceeded to tell us that I said the exact opposite thing that I was trying to say in the sermon. Like, you didn't really hear that in the sermon, did you? And they did. I know you think you understand what you thought I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. It is so easy to be misunderstood. Between my mouth and your ears, there are miles and miles of obstacles. Amy and I want to talk 
for the season of Lent about misunderstandings that we have. Consider some of the misunderstandings from Scripture. As I read through the, the gospel text for Lent, I don't know, somehow these ideas jumped out at me. We could look at the misunderstandings here one week and here another week. We could talk about the way we have misunderstood Scripture or theology, misunderstood faith. And in this season of repentance and season of self-reflection, we can look for some better ways to understand So I will articulate a misunderstanding, and Amy will offer a direction for a new understanding. That's the point of what we'll be doing here for the next few weeks. Let's listen again. Let's think again. You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now again for the word of the Lord. The point is that God might speak to us with new vision and clarity, and that our understanding would better call us to love and to serve. So as we begin this series this morning, in, we begin in an appropriate place. The misunderstanding of spirituality. It's a broad topic. Have we misunderstood spirituality? Now some people don't like that word, and I'm not always sure what people mean by it, but in one way or another, it's what we are about. Now I have argued, uh, you know, people today like to say, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious. Well, I have argued that you can be religious and not spiritual, but you cannot be spiritual and not religious. To identify spirit is to identify something that is, by definition, religious. So when you say I'm spiritual but not religious, that's really wrong. You can be religious and not spiritual. There are people that are religious about the NFL, There are people that are religious about going to Starbucks every morning. You know, you can be religious and not spiritual. But if you are spiritual, in some way or another, you are religious. Most of our world claims to be spiritual. The self-righteous fundamentalists in our culture claim to be spiritual. And the wacky world of U.S. religion, in which more and more people are claiming to be nuns, N-O-N-E-S, to have no religious affiliation, those people are spiritual too. They're just doing their spirituality in a different way. They're at Starbucks. You know, when I go every Sunday morning to finish up my sermon and have my latte there, the folks are there having their Sunday morning spiritual experience too. And they're doing it on their own with the New York Times or with one other person. They're doing their spirituality in their own way. And I think that's the first misunderstanding of spirituality. It's about me. I can do it any way I want to. Individualism is what it's about. The first Misunderstanding is a temptation to individualism. I've actually talked about this a good bit. I believe that one of the great things about the United States is our call uh, to individualism. You know, you can be anybody you want to be. You've got the freedom. You can do anything you want to do. We have that idea of the self-made individual lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, I think that's a lie, but I like the idea. You know, I like the idea that we can call people to their own self-responsibility. You know, get up and do for yourself. We've done a lot of great things in this country because we believe in individual, individualism. The rugged individual, we call it. But there's also a lie there. 
And I think the downside of that might also be the worst thing about the United States. It might be our particularly unique religious experience of individualism in this country. You know, we talk about my ambition, my freedom, my rights. And we talk about my money and my guns and my, 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 my. When you go to Amazon now, you get my account and I open my Amazon and it's my Amazon. Right? It's just all about me. We've made it all about me. In traditional Christian spirituality, it's about me. The preacher says, are you saved? And it's about my life and my salvation and what God's going to do for me. It's all about me. I've commented before about some of the preaching that I hear people talking about around town. Some of this is in those big contemporary churches. And I hear people say, oh, it's so relevant. It just makes me feel so good. And I come away every day and it's, you know, it just makes me feel so good. Well, you know, I want preaching to be relevant. I, I get that. But is that really what it's about? Do I really just need to give you three simple little points so you can walk away and feel good about your life and your spirituality? I think it's got to be bigger than that. It sounds too much like self-help religion to me. It's too small. It's too insular. It's too selfish. Many of those, those sermons that you listen to in places like that, they give you a fill-in-the-blanks bulletin. And you can fill in all the answers and you take them home and you've got them there, right there, just for you. It's so relevant, just for you. I think true understanding of spirituality has to broaden beyond what's good just for me. In non-traditional U.S. spirituality, it's still about me. I can do it myself. My own way, I don't need the church. I don't need some pastor telling me what to do. I don't need to give my money there. It's just all about me. And the same dangers of individual spirituality uh, occur outside of the church as they occur inside the church. A proper understanding from the oldest of the Hebrew prophets in Scripture to the message of Jesus is it's not about you. It's about something bigger than that. It's got to be broader than that. The second misunderstanding, the second temptation is to be spectacular. I've never been to Las Vegas. I've been through Las Vegas. But Las Vegas is a spectacular place, isn't it? You know, I looked up this morning on, on Google. Um, a lot of the hotels there spend between three dollars and $500,000 a month in electricity to pay for all the stuff and all the lights. $500,000 a month to pay the light bill. MGM recently paid a bill of $88 million to the local utility for their lights. The Luxor Hotel, one of the MGM uh, hotels that looks like a pyramid, you know, has that incredible light shining out of the top of it. I learned this morning that they're only running it at about half power in order to save money. It's calculated that it costs $52 an hour just for the electricity for that one beam of light. Each of the 39 lamps is a 7,000-watt fixture that costs $1,200. They use 315,000 watts of electricity. The Lexor sky beam is the strongest light in the world, and on a clear night, the beam can be seen for 275 miles away by aircraft pilots. It's spectacular. Since the Tower of Babel, people have always been tempted to build monuments to the spectacular, to build it bigger and bigger and bigger, 
to their own egos, to put their names on it, to light it up with lights. We love the spectacular. The better, the bigger, the better. Amy and I were going through Chester, South Carolina, Bill McCowan's home. Not long ago, we were going to a ball game in Clinton, and I passed a billboard in Chester that said, it was an advertisement for a church in Chester, and it said, you do the small things, God will do the big. And I thought, wow, that sounds like spectacular spirituality, doesn't it? You do the small things, God's going to do the big things, because we love the big things that God does. What are those things that God does that are big? You know, one of the struggles I sometimes hear is people will say, well, God doesn't do the miracles like we read about in the Bible. Why not? You know, that's become the standard, you know, parting the waters and stilling the raging storms and raising the dead. We want God to do something big like that again. Those stories have become our standard. That's what real faith is. That's what real faith is about. And if you're a person of real faith, you'll get those kind of miracles too. That's kind of the implication. Either God hasn't done those miracles in your lives, in our lives, because of something we've done. Or because the Bible says that's how God works, that's what we want. That's what we want from God. Amy has a high school friend. As we were driving down the road the other day, she was reading me about this high school friend whose husband has... uh, been dealing with some difficult health issues. His heart has been hurting his, his chest, and they can't find what it is. And he's been to many doctors, and they've tried many, many different things. And this friend of hers is very religious, and so she posts all these very religious posts out there and asking people to pray for her husband and all this. Well, she posted a couple months ago that they had tried many doctors, and they had all failed. And so they had gone to their church, and they had a prayer and healing service, and they anointed him with oil. And they got their miracle. His pain immediately went away. Praise God. God did a big thing. His pain went away. And she was praising God for that. Well, a couple months later, the pain came back. But that didn't take away the miracle that God had done. You know, the devil's now working. And and we're, we're looking for another miracle now. You see, it's just from one high to the next, from one spectacular to the next. And God's going to do another miracle just like all those miracles in the Bible. That's what we want. We want the spectacular. That billboard in Chester says, you do the small things, God will do the big. My billboard would say, you do the big things. You feed the poor. You clothe the naked. You build homes for the underprivileged. You go to the schools and teach the kids to, to read. You change the world. And God will do the little things. Like God will be the spirit that inspires you to do all of that. God will be the presence that challenges you out of your comfort to go and make a change in the world. You do the big things. God will do the small. But we want God to be spectacular. We want all that spectacular stuff, the miracles, just like they used to do it. I think God needs to be the inspiration, and you need to be the perspiration. Our temptation is to the spectacular. It's interesting to me that the word spectacular and the word spectacle are really the same thing. And the desire for spectacular spirituality can quickly become a spirituality that is a spectacle. I believe God just wants quiet, faithful, steady goodness. The third temptation is the temptation to power. 
A few weeks ago in my sermon, God Always Does Everything God Can Do, one of those chapters from my book, I spoke about what I call my least orthodox position, which is my belief that God is not omnipotent, that God can't just do anything, anytime, anywhere, just at God's own choosing when God chooses and wants to do it. Ultimately, my belief that God is love and not power, not raw force. Someone at the door that morning said she was discouraged and felt hopeless, you know, like God is impotent. And I said, well, what could be better than God being with you all the time, the energy working in you doing all that God can do? What could be better than the presence of God that is love? And as she turned and walked away, she glanced back and she said, action. You see, she wants the spectacular, wants God to do something. Well, what is that thing that God does? But we want God to be power, power. That's what's important to us. And you know, I understand, but I want to ask her, so what have you seen God do? What big things have you seen God do? What are the actions of God that she wants? And see, I see them in you. And I see them in us. But see, there's that desire to see God's power and for God to give us that power. I believe God changes the world. I believe God changes the world because God is and because love is the greatest power in the world. But people have this confusion that spirituality is about power, God's power, and God giving us that power So I understand the idea that God can't makes people think God is powerless and that feeds our temptation to see God and faith as just about more and more power, which goes back to the first two temptations. I want power. It's about me. And I love the spectacle. We want God to do something spectacular for us and in us. It's about being spectacular. Now, here's what Thomas More says about power in his understanding of prayer, which is where, it, where the rubber meets the road a lot of times. All the classical things that have said about prayer are true. Prayer is petition, and it is praise and adoration. It is communion. It is conversation. But one's notion of God and divinity has to be sufficiently empty. It's mystery sufficiently accounted for, or else prayer becomes exploitation of the divine. You understand that? Many people think prayer is just about God, getting God to do what we want God to do. It's about manipulating the power of God for us because God is power and I want the power. If prayer is just about manipulating God to work for us, we have misunderstood. I think we've misunderstood prayer and we've misunderstood God. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting spirituality to be relevant for us. Of course we do. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see faith in obvious ways. There's nothing wrong with wanting spirituality to be action and not just some pie-in-the-sky hope. Yes to all of that. So we must think again because all good things can be misused. The temptation is to a spirituality of individuality, but God calls us to something bigger than just me. The temptation is to a spirituality of the spectacular, but God calls us to the simple. The temptation is to a spirituality to power, and God calls us to love.
Listen for these temptations in the story of Jesus as I read our scripture today. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, What a great miracle that would be. If Jesus could go around and just be that important, every stone he could pick up, he could give to somebody. Wow, if somebody gave me that power, I'd take it. That's about me, and look what power I would have. But Jesus said, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give glory. It'll be spectacular. I'll give glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I will give it to anyone I please. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, God will command the angels concerning you to protect you. God will give you power. God's power will be your power. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. We know from the end of the story that Jesus didn't take that power. He didn't take that power. He went to the cross. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. You have heard the ancient story. I have an answer. It is not the answer. It is an answer. Community. When you are tempted to go it alone, I invite you to community. A place where someone will help you carry your burdens, even if that looks like something as simple as providing some food, that all you have to do is put your plate in the microwave press start, and voila, you are fed and you did not have to go to the grocery store or cut one vegetable because you were too tired or too overwhelmed to even do that much. I invite you to community, a place where someone will give you a safe space to voice your deepest fears and your most intense pain. I invite you to community. A place where you can cry. I invite you to community. A place where you can celebrate your joy. A place that will bless your unions. And a place that will help raise your children. A place where you can laugh. I mean belly laugh. I invite you to community, a place that utters, you go girl, and attaboy. An answer for the world today is community, and you can find community in lots of places with lots of different configurations, but may I suggest 
church? Of course, I'm preaching to the choir, as they say. If you are here on time, on daylight savings time, time, if you chose this over staying home on a gloomy sun, Sunday morning in your PJs, sipping on a cup of coffee, man, that sounds good, doesn't it? If you've chosen this today, then my guess is you have already found my answer, and I'm telling you nothing new. But sometimes it's just good to be reminded. So let me continue with an answer to the problem of spirituality. When you are tempted by the fantastical, I invite you to community. A place where it's not so much about the bright lights as it is about the everyday needs of a world in chaos. A place where success is defined when a young boy lists me as second in his lists in his list of loves just behind the love of his life and just ahead of sharks <laughs> i tell you my friends i have honestly known no other greater success in my life as a pastor than that. Preaching in a big steeple church is very alluring. And in front of massive crowds where they hang on your every word may be dazzling. But the day I ranked above sharks for Isaac truly was a reminder of why I do what I do. It's the little things that hold us together. And the beauty is that anybody that's been here for more than about a month knows exactly who I'm talking about, my front row sitter. And if you're visiting, I hope you don't hear that as any kind of exclusionary story where you don't know what's going on. You hang around here for a week or two and you're going to love sharks too. <laughs> Why would I want to be famous when I could be in community with people who are very ordinary, which is pretty extraordinary? When you are tempted by power and control, I invite you to community, a place where the goal is consensus, even when we agree to disagree, a place where we can be different in our ideas and in our personalities, where we can celebrate the uniqueness of every single person, where we can practice radical hospitality in saying that all are welcome and everyone has a seat at this table and where the tables are almost all round so that no one has to sit at the head. I invite you to community, a place where we shelter the homeless and treat them as guests. I look at these temptations, the temptation to take care of yourself all by yourself, and I see a sense of collective relationships that will stand in the face of that temptation. You cannot go it alone. You do not have to go it alone. Stop going it alone. There is community for that temptation. 
the temptation to be mesmerized by the glitz and the glamour of the spectacular, I see something much more down-to-earth where the everydayness of regular folks working together on something that holds the potential to be more grand because we've done it together than any one of us could have done all by ourselves. And the temptation to control everyone and everything, I see a collaborative effort to join forces for a common good as a way of standing in the face of temptation of power. I look at the problem of these temptations as a test of our own sense of spirituality. These temptations that we each face all the time, and I see an answer in community. Someone sent me from worship a couple of weeks ago a picture of this banner. And she said, does the word unity stand out to you like it does to me? And I said, well, not till now. She said, it needs to be underlined. Now, I dare you to come in here and see that banner and not see the word unity in it. We usually speak of faith and not religion because religion has gotten a pretty bad rap. The word religion has a pretty negative connotation these days. So many have moved from religion to spirituality, and when that happened, it seems that it became more of an individualized proposition. Maybe an answer to reclaim religion again as a communal reality. No, get that sentence wrong. Maybe an answer is to reclaim religion again as a communal reality that stands in the face of temptations. A misunderstood spirituality may be better understood within the context of community. At the beginning of the sermon, I said, I don't have the answer. Maybe I was wrong because I think I'm on to something. I invite you to understand community as the answer. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.